0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live and also co-author of the Early 202 Newsletter. Today, we are having a conversation with Republican Representative Don Bacon of Nebraska. He's an Air Force veteran and also a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Leanne. It's an honor to be on.
1: So uh, I want to start with something that's in the news a lot in the past few days, and that is these, this January 6th footage. Uh, we know that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has given access to the Capitol security footage from that day to Fox Opinion host Tucker Carlson. Um, do you have any concerns with Tucker Carlson reviewing that footage and perhaps airing that footage?
0: I assume you'll probably error some of the footage, no doubt about that. I don't really have a concern of it because we've seen a lot of other footage also released over the past uh, two years. I would say we should just make this footage available to everybody, though, to all the reporters, and, and just make it available for people like yourself or any other uh, news agency that would like to dig into this. I think what you're going to find is that the, our, our capital Police uh, did not receive, I would say, adequate supervision and command From their superiors, Uh, at some of the doors, you know they were pushing back, and there was a a huge fight. They were being assaulted uh, by these folks. There were criminals that were doing that. But you see at other doors, uh, the doors are just open, and people are going in. And I think that that's because the Capitol police they were not receiving orders from their from their senior leadership, and they were left hanging uh, there. And with and so I feel like they were not well led, and I think that'll be one of the findings you will get out of this.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have any security concerns? There's some Democrats, um, even a couple Republicans who are worried about, uh, you know, footage being aired that shows exits and entrances and security postures uh, of Capitol Police. Does that, do you worry about that? Do you think there are enough guardrails in place that that won't be violated?
0: I'm willing to listen to anyone's concerns on security and maybe adjust my view, but I don't know. I don't I haven't heard anything that strikes me as being a security, uh, releasing security information that's going to be make us more vulnerable. A lot of this already been released. You know, obviously the areas where the conflict, where the assaults on our police were the worst. I mean, that's that coverage has already been there, and some of the coverage too of where they took some of the members of Congress. That's already been out. So I don't know that. I think compared to what's already been done, I just don't see that as an issue. I'm willing to listen. And and I you know and if I hear something that does strike me that way I'll change my opinion.
1: Great. Um, I, we also wanted to talk to you and bring you on this show because you are also a member of a bipartisan group called the Problem Solvers Caucus. You are a founding member of the Main Street Alliance, Main Street Caucus. Um, a group of moderate pragmatic Republicans. Um, One thing that congressional Republicans have been talking a lot about since they gained the majority is uh, the debt and um, deficit spending. Uh, We now know that Speaker McCarthy is going to convene a bipartisan briefing for all members of the House by the Congressional Budget Office director to talk about debt. Can you outline areas that you would like to see a uh, budget cut, if there are any?
0: Well, I am a member of the problem solvers, as you say, and I have volunteered to be part of the sub team of problem solvers working on this issue. And I'm grateful for the Republicans and Democrats that, are, that have volunteered to help work this, the spirit of trying to solve this problem. It is a problem, you know, if we do nothing, Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid alone will add $19 trillion in new debt uh, over the next 10 years. So it's really unsustainable. So we we need to sit down as Republicans and Democrats and work this. And and there's a great group of folks on the Democrat side and the Republican side. For example, Scott Peters, uh, Jared Golden, uh, we got uh, Ed Case from Hawaii, and so forth, Uh, all want to sit down and and meet in the middle somewhere and find some solutions here. Uh, So I'm heartened by that. Some of the things that we're bringing up is we need some spending caps when it comes to the discretionary spending, whether that's at inflation or a percent or 2% below inflation, that's where we have to negotiate what that would maybe look like. And then we're committed to finding a process, and this is after the budget cap or the debt ceiling's raised, but we're dedicated to finding a bipartisan group or whether it's a commission or committee that will, that will commit themselves to finding solutions to the mandatory spending problem that we have. Right now, in discretionary spending, it's about 30% of the budget, uh, the revenues are exceeding what we're, the expenditures. So that's not really the issue for our deficit spending. On the mandatory spending, though, the expenditures significantly uh, exceed the rev- revenues. And we're gonna have to sit down as Republicans and Democrats and, and solve this as a team. It can't be a Republican-only solution. So some want that, and it can't be a Democrat-only solution, uh, as some want it. For this to work, it's going to have to be a bipartisan answer. I think both sides are going to win some and lose some in this, uh, if this is going to be effective.
1: Uh, Mandatory spending, of course, are things like Social Security, uh, Medicare, Medicaid. So if you form a bipartisan group to address mandatory spending, um, those programs, does that mean that those programs are in fact on the table uh, as far as uh, budget conversations are concerned?
0: Well, not for this budget ceiling. I think we just want a commitment that we're going to work together in the future and have a, a, a plan or a process that we're going to tackle this by. Uh, I think if we can get spending caps on the discretionary side and a commitment to work together on the mandatory, I think that most of us would say, hey, we, that's progress and we can you know, adjust the the debt ceiling.
1: Talk you about know, some of, yeah, go ahead. But
0: so just like for example, on Social Security, and this is beyond the the debt ceiling I mean We're going to assume that we're going to raise the debt ceiling on this. But for a bipartisan group to get together, we'll we'll have to look at things like do we raise the caps on withholdings? Right now, the caps are about one hundred sixty thousand dollars. Should we adjust the caps upward? I think the Democrats would like to do that. I would say mainly the Republicans are a little more resistant to tax increases. But we would like to also say, okay, for those under 30, uh, perhaps can we adjust the retirement age for a year? If, if for those who are 67 today, uh, the life expectancy is about 20 more years. And uh, so I think we're going to have a discussion where we do a little bit of both, uh, but but we'll see uh, if there's a stomach to do this kind of bipartisan. I do think the problem-solver Republicans and Democrats are willing to give a little bit on both sides of this to make this work, Is in the end, we want to preserve Social Security. It's an important program. If we do nothing, Social Security will go and solve it in about 2034 and everybody on it will lose approximately 25% of their uh, benefits. That's that's an unacceptable answer.
1: So uh, some of the members of the problem solvers and some of the members that you mentioned, including, well, yourself, and also Jared Golden of Maine, who's a Democrat, you guys come from really competitive districts. Uh, where social security has been, you know, weaponized in campaigns cycle after cycle. Um, Could this cost you your election if you move forward with a group to adjust social security and Medicare?
0: Well, I've had $10 million roughly already spent against me on this very topic. And it's because even as a challenger, I raise this as something that Congress needs to tackle. Uh, I'm a military guy. Served so 30 years in the Air Force. We don't ignore a problem that's tough. You ta- you got to solve it. And so I was willing to address this as a challenger, 2016, and I got beat over the head by the uh, the Democrat uh, campaign committee on this. And they've done it every two years since. Uh, the problem is what they're saying, and this is the campaign folks. Obviously, I think uh, the uh, the good Democrats and the problem solvers know that we have to tackle this. They're not the, they're not the problem here, uh, but this, this will likely be demagogued. It was demagogued, I mean, last November uh, that we wanted to cut Social Security. Frank, the actual answer is we want to save Social Security. Doing nothing uh, is not an answer. Uh, it was, it's a bad answer, I'll say that. But I, I do assume that this will get demagogued because when they put, do the TV ads, they don't say what we're actually proposing. They just say, hey, we're trying to cut Social Security, which is actually, actually trying to save it. We're trying to find reforms. Uh, we're willing to adjust the caps. We're, we're willing to do a complete fix on this so we can save it and uh, but that's how obviously the ads are not presented that way uh, when they're trying to demagogue it
1: yeah as far as conversations are going on cutting spending in this cycle um, the discretionary spending just to remind our viewers that's you know on the environmental protection agency that's um, a whole host of government agencies um, so what have you guys narrowed down a number of topics that there should be cuts?
0: Well, we're narrowing, them, trying to narrow them down now. To we're sort of in the early stages, even in the problem solvers of. So I think there's a general agreement you need some kind of spending caps, uh, and you know we've the discretionary spending, you know, has climbed uh, quite a bit in the last uh, president. Well, not really the last president, more in the last two years. Uh, but if we could keep discretionary spending within inflation or point or two point inflation, those are not draconian cuts. Uh, Those are, I just think we're starting to point the ship the right direction on this. And I don't think we're going to get draconian cuts passed out of the Senate or signed by the president. So what is realistic? I think within inflation or a point or two below inflation may be an area that we can meet in the middle on and get agreement.
1: So we just passed the year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. Uh, We also do expect um, a debate later this year over additional military humanitarian aid for Ukraine. Uh, do you think that the Republican Party is going to support additional funding for that country?
0: The short answer is yes. It's in our national security interests. and You see the leadership uh, here s- supporting that, whether it's Mike Turner from the Intelligence Committee, uh, Mike McCall from the Foreign Affairs uh, committee. I think you can see Mike Rogers also uh, supportive. That doesn't mean that there's a blank check, though, on that whatever President Biden says he, he will get or even what even Ukraine says they need. Uh, there's, we have a right to inspect that, to review it. Uh, but we do need to support Ukraine because if Ukraine falls, it will hurt our national security interests in the long run. Putin cannot prevail uh, here. If he... He does, Ukraine will not be the last country he, he bullies. He's already threatening the Baltics, which are NATO countries. And bullies have to be stopped. If you don't stop, they, they keep coming back at you. And so the Ukrainians are doing the fighting. That's their courage, their blood. Uh, but we need to give them the, the weapons they need to prevail. That doesn't mean everything they ask for is what they need, though. So we, should, we have a right to review it. And there's another concern here our supplies are, go, are getting small. And uh, we're running out of some of these weapons like the Stinger missiles, the Javelin, anti tank missiles, uh, also the HIMARS that are long range rockets, artillery uh, that we have. So, this is also a consideration we must have. What do we have that we can afford? And what do we need to preserve for our own defense needs? And also, what do we need to send to Taiwan? Because Taiwan has a $19 billion backlog right now of things they have bought from us that we can't supply to them. So, there's some other variables and factors in here that we also need to discuss. But the short answer is yes, we need to support Ukraine.
1: Um, You told me the other day uh, before a hearing on Ukraine where administration officials were testifying, it was an oversight hearing just yesterday. The night before that hearing, you told me um, that you wanted the administration to detail uh, how much other NATO countries are spending in Ukraine to help you tell your constituents that it's not just the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get any sort of commitment from that, from the administration on that? And why would that be helpful?
0: Well, I did get a commitment about three weeks ago from the Pentagon to, to do this uh, as part of the administration's efforts. And what it is, is we have a lot of constituents aren't aware of what the rest of NATO countries are doing, what Japan is doing, what's Australia is doing. Uh, And we know Germany lately has stepped up uh, on the humanitarian aid part, but we need to be able to tell the American people and my constituents uh, that you're not carrying this burden alone. America's not carrying this burden alone. But I really don't know right now what that exact number is. And and the administration says they have it at the unclassified level. So I would like them to show us this, uh, because I think it will help us make the case uh, that we're part of a team effort here of free countries defending freedom.
1: Is part of the challenge for Republicans right now on Ukraine, not? is part of the challenge convincing your fellow Republicans who are skeptical and Republican voters where support for supporting Ukraine is softening?
0: Well, I do think part of what you hear is we we can't be doing this on our own. So we need the information from the administration Mm -hmm. uh, to show this is what England's doing, this is what Germany's doing, this is what Poland's doing and the Baltics are, but often they're smaller countries, but they've, they've led everybody when it comes to per GDP, uh, what they're giving to Ukraine. So I think this will help us make that case. I also hear from constituents, hey, why are we doing this when uh, the administration is failing at the border? And I think it's a false choice. We should be doing both. We should be doing security at our border and helping Ukraine prevail here against this bully. By the way, these are war crimes, crimes against humanity. America does not turn away from that. We have to acknowledge this, what Russia is doing and support uh, the victim of this, these crimes against humanity, which is uh, the Ukrainians. But yes, we have our side. And I think we see some on the Democrat side, but not to the same degree. We, people like myself and Mike Turner, and Mike McCall, and uh, you know, uh, Mike Rogers, we need to make our case and, and defend that this is important for our national security interests to do. Uh, we, we can't just, you can't just keep quiet while you have the, some of the populist wing out there, you know, trying to trying to stop us from doing this. Uh, so we got to stand up to, to our principles and make our case.
1: Should President Biden have gone to East Palestine, uh, where the train derailment in Ohio, instead of going to Kiev?
0: Well, I'm glad he went to Kiev. Uh, Kiev. Uh, it's at the one year anniversary point. It was probably important for him to do it to show support uh, for Ukrainians. But I also think he could have gone to East Palestine, as you say, and visited uh, there before or after Ukraine. I do think that that was a, a terrible der- derailment. Uh, obviously, the, that local community uh, feels, I guess, lack of a better word, terrorized by what happened because they can still smell the fumes, they can still taste uh, you know, the, the that fumes that were up, at, that, that are in the air that they're inhaling. And so I think it would have been wise for the president to go there at some point, probably preferably before uh, going to Kyiv.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about some of the populist wing in the party, uh, for example, um, so one of those people who doesn't support additional aid to Ukraine is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she has been online a lot talking about uh, that the red states should separate from the blue states, um, a national divorce. What is your response to that?
0: I think it's ridiculous. Uh, the, ho- the whole topic's ridiculous. Uh, we're Americans first. I do think that the vitriol and the partisanship is too much. I think it's a threat to our country. Uh, This doesn't help it, though. Saying you want a national divorce, that makes it even worse. Uh, But, you know, we have big problems to solve. China is a growing country. It's 90% of our GDP. They're growing a nuclear inventory to match ours. They're threatening Taiwan. You see Russia and Ukraine. And on top of that, we have this $32 trillion deficit or debt and a $19 trillion uh, estimated deficit over the next 10 years if we do nothing. This will take bipartisanship to solve. It's going to take Republicans and Democrats working together to counter these huge threats facing our country. Uh, and so saying, having a national divorce, it's counterproductive. Uh, it just widens that divide, throws gas on the fire. And I, and it affects I'm a, my parents divorced growing up. We don't want divorce. <laughs> we, and we fought a civil war to keep our country together. I mean, this, the whole thing was ridiculous and I, I disavow it.
1: On, I um, want to get back to the debt limit. You talk about bipartisanship. Will, do you think, Kevin McCarthy be able to keep his job as Speaker if he needs Democrats to help him pass to lifting the debt limit?
0: I think we have to assume that there, we're going to need Democrats to help pass the debt limit. And that's, that's why at some point we're going to need a bipartisan effort. That what the President said is also ridiculous that he refuses to negotiate when he himself opposed debt ceiling increases three times because he said he disagreed with the principles of the president at the time or the priorities president at that time. So, you know, Joe Biden himself has said that he he wanted to go as a senator, wanted to negotiate on what a debt ceiling limit would look like. So he needs to come to the table. But in the end, we're going to have to find something that that we all agree on And that may not be. And at the end, we may not get all the Republicans on board. Maybe not all the Democrats. But we're going to need enough to get two eighteen, and and raise the debt ceiling limit. It's going to take some compromise uh, from the president himself as well.
1: Um, I have a question from a viewer that I want to bring up. From Michael Levine of Maryland asks. If cuts in social security, military, and medical benefits are off the table, what do you propose cutting? We touched that a little bit, um, but if there's anything specific. And also, are you open to a discussion around taxes on the wealthy, especially that second part, Congressman?
0: Well, I'm. right now we tax at approximately, and I need to go back and review the latest numbers, about 20% of our GDP goes to the federal government, another 20% goes to the state and local governments. I am not, I don't think taxing, taking taxes out of 40% of the economy or raising that is a good thing. Um, and I actually have a very progressive tax code right now. When you look at what the top 5% put in, compared to their earnings, share their earnings in our country, and you compare that to the share of the taxes they're paying via the income tax, we have a quite, pro, a, a very much a progressive tax code already. So I'm reluctant to raise taxes, but I'm not going to just totally take it off the table if we can get some smart reductions in spending as well. This is part of negotiating. And uh, so, you know, the president wants to raise taxes, and that's the only proposal I've seen from him. But what about reductions in spending as well? And so so I'm not going to take it off the table, though I'm I'm reluctant to do so. We already are taxing 40% of our economy, and that's a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. On earmarks, that's another conversation as the appropriations process starts in Congress. Uh, where do you stand in this cycle on, issue- well, on earmarks? I, I early
0: on voted against earmarks, but they passed, right? So the, the concept of earmarks or targeted spending, uh, community spending uh, passed. So at that point, I had a, I had a choice. Uh, do I put in submissions for our own district or not? And I decided that you know our district deserved representation, and, uh, and, uh, and whatever the budget limit is, that at least some of our priorities are considered in that. So I've been submitting requests after working with our mayors. I have about 12 mayors uh, in the district and we also have uh, three sets of county commissioners. And so I work with them and the mayors to figure out what some of these priorities can be. And, and, I put, and I'll put i submit them. So I will support uh, putting in our list of priorities that whatever the budget limits are, Whatever, whatever they end up being, at least our district's also considered uh, with what's left, what, 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 so that we're not left out.
1: Mm-hmm. I wanna talk about abortion. Um, mm-hmm. This is an issue, obviously, that was a big issue in the campaign, also after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You had a 15-week abortion ban bill, um, but you also say that you don't support abortion. Under any circumstances, so where where are you right now on the issue? Um, Can you be specific on what Mm -hmm. should happen?
0: Well, just philosophically and and with my Christian faith, I believe human life is valuable. I believe God creates humanity that we're created in His image. We have significant value uh, in God's eyes. We have an eternal uh, future. So, on principle, I want to defend life, and I believe the unborn child. Uh, is humanity, and it uh, deserves protection. I also know there should be exceptions. Or you know, for example, uh, for uh, life of the mother, protecting uh, the mother's life is just a, as a case in point. Uh, I find most Americans right now support a 12 to 15 week abortion ban. That's the middle of the bell curve. If you look at polling, you go to the right of that, you lose support. If You go to the left of that, uh, you lose support. And I would like to point out that two different bills in the last Congress would have removed any. Restrictions on abortion from states up until birth. And only one in five Americans support that. So I would say that was an extreme part of the pro choice side uh, of this. Uh, But I want to get the agreement that I, the best agreement that we can get where the voters are at. And so on principle, I'm pro life. I also know where the voters are at right now. And they're they're at the 12 to 15 week week point. I think that that's where we should put our efforts uh, because that's where the majority of Americans are at.
1: Are Republicans going to? To, um, to legislate on this issue? There were some bills at the beginning of the co- Congress, excuse me, um, that didn't have the votes. So what are Republicans gonna do right. about it?
0: Well, we did pass you know, the late term or the baby born alive uh, bill, which by the way, it does happen. A lot of people deny that. Uh, the fact is I have met two victims that survived an abortion that are adults today. Uh, one was missing an arm uh, from the, that whole process. And so this does happen, but there is a debate in the conference, do, do we just leave this with the states and let them decide, or should there be a rule uh, for Congress? And I, right now, Leanne, I can't tell you where the majority's at on that. I think there's a lot of folks that say, let's leave this uh, to the states, but really the Supreme Court said it was up to the voters. It's up for the voters to decide this. And the voters decide this through their elected representatives, I would say at the state and at the federal level, so I do think there's a role at the federal level to figure out what can we what can we agree on? You know, where's that at? And I will tell you with the filibuster in the Senate, uh, I think that those any restrictions on abortion will probably be pretty high. Uh, I mean there won't they won't be they'll probably be much more at the late term abortion phase if we can break the filibuster on that. So I don't think you'll get a whole lot done out of the federal government because you have the filibuster uh, there. You may get a a very late-term abortion restriction that may be a bust, but most of this work will be done at the state level.
1: I wanna ask you about uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He had to make a lot of concessions to become Speaker of the House. So far, uh, do you think that he has um, appeased the right flank of the party too much in how he's governed?
0: Obviously, well, obviously, there was, it was a hard week for uh, being a member of the GOP. I'm a, I'm a military guy. I know when 90% of a conference supports something like leadership decisions, you get behind it and you unify. And I was uh, very discouraged by the behavior of that 20 and then really the six because uh, I thought it undermined the team. And, uh, and-
1: oh, no, I think we lost our connection. Let's wait just a moment. Great, Congressman, you're back. back? You're back. Okay.
0: Uh, The one area that I disagreed with on the first week of January was the single vote to vacate the chair. Um, We'll see. We'll see that becomes if that is a problem down the road. I'm just not. I'm not sure how that will turn out. I I do foresee. One just takes one or two members to not like something, and then we go go back into what we had the first week of January, and I don't. I don't think that'd be wise. Not good for the party. Not good for the House, for that matter. Now, there were concessions made on the rules committee, uh, but I think that those were all right. Uh, There were were some committee spots given up to the Freedom Caucus across the board. I actually think that was smart. Uh, So right now, I think there wasn't, I think, other than the vacate the chair motion. And just to tell our viewers, vacate the
1: chair is so that members can vote McCarthy out of the speakership role. Sorry to interrupt.
0: So that's the one area that I disagreed with. Uh, But I don't think so far, I I don't see where it's hurt us. And I don't see where the Kevin went too far outside of that one position, but I think we had to do it to get the vote. So, uh, but I I think Kevin's doing a great job and I feel like he is represent all of the uh, conference right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Great. And we are almost out of time, but I want to ask you about presidential politics. Um, There's a couple of people in the race so far, one, including the former president. Others are expected to jump in. Where do you stand? Who do you want to see win the nomination?
0: I want to get a conservative that also unifies people, can attract the swing voter, the independent voter, Uh, that has a unifying message. Which means you got to have someone that has a presidential temperament and comportment. And I think that's what caused uh, President Trump's loss in 2020 primarily was a lot of those swing voters, independent voters, didn't like uh, the name calling and the 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 Receive chaos.
1: I, Congressman, I think that we lost you again. Are you there?
0: Yes, I'm sorry. I don't know what's happening uh, here. It's okay. Um, but
1: so not, not Donald Trump then?
0: No, I think uh, President Trump would be a, would not lose, he would not win in a general election. And I think he would hurt the Republican Party and the Senate and the House. There's just too many swing voters and independent voters that have a visceral uh, dislike for them, mainly for what happened on January 6th, yes, but also just the, the, the comportment and the temperament of the name calling. And I think we need someone that can unify more people uh, behind uh, the GOP.
1: Do you think, and really quickly, do you think uh, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, is someone who can be unifying?
0: Well, he did it in Florida. Uh, he, he won the independent vote, the swing votes, significantly. So he's proven it in Florida and he won a reelection at record levels in Florida. And to me, that's a judge. That's, a, that's something you can judge uh, a person, how they will do in the presidential level. Florida is very important. He wanted overwhelmingly a reelection. We need someone that can win reelection. Obviously, uh, uh, President Trump did not in 2020 and he lost my district very badly. So we, we, so I, I would very much consider Ron DeSantis. I think Nikki Haley. Uh, has lots of promise. She did very good in South Carolina. And uh, there may be some others out there too that will stick their their hand up soon. We'll see.
1: Mm -hmm. Great. Congressman Don Bacon, Republican of Nebraska, member of the Senate or House Armed Services Committee, also member of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Leanne. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.